Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, this morning, um, as we're celebrating this two-year anniversary, I don't know about you, but those of you who have been with us, doesn't it seem like it's been longer than two years in a good way? Right? I mean, it seems like we've known each other for longer than two years. Some of us have only known each other for less than two years. But you know what? When the Spirit of Christ comes into a, two people and they have community with one another, there is a bond that automatically happens as the Spirit of God interacts. And that's what's happened in Reach Life Church. But you know what? The truth is, we still are only two years old. We are a baby church. We are still in diapers. Well, I would say that we are in the toddler stage. And uh, according to Wikipedia, you know, that online search engine that we know is truthful all the way, it says that a toddler is a child 12 to 36 months old. That's us. The toddler years are a time of great cognitive, emotional, and social development. The word is derived from to toddle, which means to walk unsteadily like a child of this age. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're a parent, put your hand in the air like you just don't care because you do. Are the toddler ages different, difficult? Maybe. Come on, Will. Are they different? Oh. Look, they're all difficult, okay? But this is for my point this morning. <laughs> it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's been a few years since my kids have been uh, toddlers. But aren't they still in diapers? But they're eating adult food? <laughs> toddlers are really good at being difficult, aren't they? Because they're learning. They don't know their left feet from the right feet, right? I've got a picture I want to show you. This is from my home, right? How many of you guys can identify with this? You, you tell your children, put their shoes on, nine times out of a ten, this is an actual footage from my home. Footage, yeah, that's not, footage, yes, it is footage, actually. They're also good at making messes. I want you to see the next picture. Now, you know who that is? That's Adoniram right here, right? My boy right here. I put this on, on uh, Facebook with, with the caption under it, Mr. Pencil, you and me are in big trouble. <laughs> you just don't give a child a pencil, a toddler a pencil or a crayon because he will do something on the wall. How many of you guys got stories of this or pictures of this, right? Mom, we've got a, a picture of Robert. My older brother did that, right? Remember, we prayed for him. My parents are here, by the way, this, this morning, and, uh, and so are my in-laws, so you can clap for that, too. But, <laughs> but you know, um, although our children are difficult, although toddler years are difficult, we still love our kids, don't we? we? We won't abandon them. And you know what? God, even though we're in the toddler stage as a church, we're still only two years old. God it loves us. He is not going to abandon us. He is faithful as we sang this morning. And you know what? God, 
The truth is God has brought us all together. He has brought us together and united us together through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we've come here to celebrate. This morning, we have not come here to celebrate ourselves. We're the toddler who wrote on the wall. Right? He's cleaning up by the cross that which we have done. And so this morning, I want to begin with pointing our direction that we're celebrating two years because of God's faithfulness. And we want to continue to walk with him. He's not going to let go of our hands. He's going to hold us. And when we fall, and we will, he picks us back up, doesn't he? As we toddle forward, as we continue to grow and mature. And, you know, it's important to understand that although we are a two-year church, we're not the first church. We're not the only church, but the first church, the worldwide church, the first church who we are descended from was born about 2,000 years ago. And that's the church I want to look at this morning. I want to look at them and draw some truths from Acts chapter 2. They were born in Jerusalem. So I want to travel back into time. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And before we get there, I want to give a little bit of background about what's happening right up to this passage. Jesus had come to earth from heaven, lived a perfect life, And he was rejected by the Jews. They hated him. They crucified him, put him to death. While they were doing that, our sins were being put upon him so that our sins would be paid for. He was buried. He rose again. And on the third day, he rose again on the third day, and he appeared to his disciples for 40 days. And it says in the scriptures that he appeared not only to his disciples, but to 500 other eyewitnesses. This was not done in secret. It was done in a way that people would see what Jesus had done and that there would be a testimony that God has paid for our sins. And as Jesus, in chapter 1, as he was getting ready to leave, as he was getting ready to ascend into heaven, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, to his disciples, but you will receive power. This is the, some of the last things he says to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He then, the scriptures say, was lifted up. Imagine this. Lifted up, and it says that he was taken away by a cloud out of their sight. And after a few days, the disciples were in a room praying, and it says that the Holy Spirit descended, the promised Holy Spirit descended upon them with the sound of like a mighty rushing wind, and tongues of fire rested on each one of them, and they began to speak in different languages. Okay, They didn't all speak English anymore. They spoke in different (laughs) languages. And all of a sudden, this great crowd comes out into the streets. And there's these guys mocking. They're, they're, they're like, you guys are drunk. And then Peter. Peter stands up. Now, remember Peter, just about a month or so before, had cowarded in front of a servant girl and said, I don't know who Jesus is. Now he is filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered, and he stands in front of this mob, 
this crowd. He goes, look, no, we are not drunk. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. We're not drunk. God has poured out his spirit upon us, just like he prophesied he would through the prophet Joel. And then in verse 22 of chapter 2, and that's where we're going to start, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Men of Israel, pay attention. I'm going to ask our church this morning. These words are for us. So I want to ask men and women and children of Reach Life Church, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In other words, you turned, them o- turned him over to the Romans to be crucified. Verse 24, but God raised him up. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. In other words, God raised him up. He conquered death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And basically, he's saying, look, we the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. We've heard about him our whole life. And when God finally sent him, we rejected him and we killed him. But it was according to God's plan that this would happen. Think about it. Has... God ever sent you into someone's life to help them and they didn't receive it as help? My mom's looking at me going, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Parents, have you ever gone to your children to help them only to hear them say, you what? You don't understand, you hate me, right? That's been said before. Or... Teenagers, have you ever gone to your parents when they're wrong? Now, parents, we're wrong, right? Y'all are like. <laughs> and teenagers, there is a, there's a way that you can go in an honoring way and, and say, you know, bring things to your parents. Hopefully, you, parents, you're giving your teenagers that, that opportunity to bring stuff. And, I, and I'm a parent, and I've... <laughs> It can be tough. Uh, sometimes I haven't responded rightly, even though I'm like, if you see anything wrong, and then they do it, and it's like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. But anyway, have you ever brought something to someone, and they didn't receive it as good news? Well, that's what happened to Jesus. He came with good news, and they said, we don't want it, and they crucified him. And Peter, empowered with the Holy Spirit, he preaches the gospel to them that Jesus died by the plan and foreknowledge of God, and he raised him from the dead. And in verse 37 it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they realized they had killed the Messiah and that he was had been raised from the dead, they believed it. And I believe that fear came over them. And they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, they are agreeing. Yes, we did this. We believe that he's alive. What must we do? And Peter said to them, and here's good news. He says, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness, not for the wrath, not because you put him to death, the wrath of God is coming, but for the, he's going to forgive you if you will repent for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then verse, look at verse 41. It says, So those who received his words, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 Souls, talk about a revival. Three, we can't even comprehend that. 3,000 souls. And here's what happened in verse 42. And this is the, the verse I want to hunker down on right now. Verse 42. Here's what happened in their midst. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the 12 men who, who accompanied Jesus during his ministry. Actually, it was the 11 men, and Matthias was added to this group. He was with them through, through the whole time, but the 12 disciples were known as the apostles. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, notice it, sa notice it says they devoted themselves to four things. What are you devoted to? Think about it right now. What are you devoted to in your life? On Friday nights... I don't know if I've told you this, but I used to play football, okay? I don't like talking about it, but if it fits, I'm going to use it, okay? Friday nights when I was in high school, during the fall, was football night. I was not going to be anywhere else during that time. I was devoted to Friday nights. If we had gone on in the playoffs, and we should have, but if we had kept going and, and were going to play during Thanksgiving, I would have missed Thanksgiving, right? Uh, I think, in order to play because I was devoted. I was passionate about it. I was diligent about it. I was committed to it. And that's what this word devoted means. These, these new disciples were devoted. They devoted themselves to four things. And if you're taking notes, these are the four gospel truths or gospel observations that I want you to write down. These are the four characteristics of the first church. Number one, they were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted to the Word of God. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what were the apostles' teaching? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. What were they teaching? Were they teaching their own Words? No, because we know that in, in Matthew 28, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. The apostles were teaching the words of God. They were teaching uh, to the other people what they themselves had been taught by Jesus. This is also known as doctrine. They were teaching the doctrines of Jesus. Now, some of us this morning might be out here thinking, you know, all that doctrine. I don't want, don't give me all that doctrine. I just want to love Jesus. Have you ever heard that? I just want to love, I used to say that actually. 
all that doctrine, you know. But doctrine is the teaching of Jesus. It's the Word of God that teaches us who Jesus is. And if we are going to love Jesus, if we're going to know the true Jesus and serve the true Jesus, and if we're going to know how we are to truly serve him, we have to know doctrine. We have to know what he has taught us in the Word of God. We have to have sound and good doctrine. And it's important to to note that the first century church was passionate. They were devoted to sound doctrine. And you know, most of us probably know this, but they wrote it down later in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the way to the end of Revelation. That's the teachings of the apostles, which were built upon the, is built upon the Old Testament. So they taught our Bible. So if you want to know what the first century church was taught, it's right here. And that's one of the things that we want to make sure our church is built upon, continues to be built upon, being biblically rooted. So the first century church was committed to sound doctrine. I love what Donald Whitney says in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He says, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. This is a spiritual discipline. This is like an exercise. This is kind of like the bench press if you lift weights. Nothing can substitute for it. There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. And you know, it's through, through God's Word that He reveals Himself to us. And it's also, the Word of God is called the lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It, it corrects us. The Word of God gives us correction. It also gives us encouragement. It also should give us direction. And you know, when our feelings betray us, our feelings are lying to us. When we feel alone, abandoned, and afraid, God's word strengthens us and reminds us that God is always, those who are in Christ, God is always for us. He is always with us. And he always defends his children. And it's through God's word that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves us. That's where we find out about the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the return is in his word. You know, most religions teach that you must die for your God, for him to be happy with you. The teachings of the apostles teach that our God died for us that we would be happy with him and come to him. That's the good news and the teachings of the apostles. So number one, they were devoted to the word of God. Number two, they were devoted to the fellowship of believers. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had a MC leaders meeting at my house, and we went over this, these uh, four points that we're going over this morning. And when we came to the word fellowship, I pointed out that the Greek word for this is spelled K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, okay? And I said in front of Terry Hallfield, 
which was a mistake. I said, they had quantania. He started laughing, just like he is right now. He said, what? I said, what do you call it? He said, koinonia. Is that close? Close, okay. I said, man, I'm from the country. You sound like you're drinking tea. Quantania is like eating barbecue. Amen? Now, how many of you guys want quantania or koinonia? Quantania? Put your hands up. Come on. We're going to koinonia? Okay, some of y'all don't know what you want. Regardless of how you say it, fellowship or koinonia or quantania is being like-minded with one another. It's being united in a common goal, locking arms and hearts together to serve in a united purpose. I'm going to say that again. It's being like-minded with one another, being united in a common goal, locking arms and hearts together to serve in a united purpose. And the first century church was devoted to the fellowship. They were united in serving Jesus. One of the greatest scriptures that we can look at to show us what koinonia is, what fellowship is, is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 2. Listen to this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, do you hear, do you hear the heart of God in this? Paul says, complete my joy. Here it is, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What did this first century church share? What did they have in common? What united them together? What should unite us together? Jesus. They all had and were controlled in this passage, by the mind of Christ. And that united them together. And this is a reminder to all of us, Reach Life Church. This is a reminder to all of us that we need each other. The Christian life was never meant for us to live alone, for us to live it out in isolation. We, were, we are believers of one body, the body of Christ, and we have been brought together in order to floss together. You know what's, okay, we're going to, this is not part of my sermon, okay? It's amazing when you say something like that, everyone's all like this, I went to floss. I mean, that's what I got. We are meant to floss together. How many of y'all know what flossing is? And I don't mean your teeth. I mean, you know what flossing is. The young people, all the young people have their hands in the air. Flossing is a dance move. It, and I'm not going to do it. Do it. Do it. I, I, <laughs> All right, this is what I'm talking about, see? We're excited now. Come on. I'm not going to do it. My mom, my mom and dad told me not to dance in church. They did, and I'm kidding. But it's one of these moves where you go like this. You go like this. No. I got some moves, but not today. But the, the Ohio State marching band flossed. I want to show you what it looks like. I think we got video of it, okay? 
Now, did you notice the feet? It looks like they're not doing anything, right? And, but if you take them out, the picture is not complete. The body is not complete. Just because of those guys up there on the top are running, they look like they're doing more. They were not doing more when it came to the body. And that is a picture, when I saw that, you know, that's a picture of the, of the church. The church is not about an individual other than Jesus Christ. We are his body. And there should be no standouts, right? There should be no superheroes amongst us. We are brothers and sisters among brothers and sisters who have come to a Savior. And if we're not careful, we could, we, you might be afoot and think that your part in the body isn't important. But that's just not what the apostles taught. He said every part of the body is important and significant. We were designed to have fellowship with one another in order to, to display Jesus to one another and to the world. And so we need church to take heed and to see what this first century church had was fellowship. They were devoted to coming together and having fellowship in Christ. So the first church was, number one, devoted to the word of God. Number two, they were devoted to the fellowship of believers. And number three, and I love this one. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. Now, this is talking about the Lord's Supper. But that's not all it's talking about. Um, something very interesting about the first century church is they would have what they would call love feasts or agape feasts, where the families uh, would come together in a home and share a meal before they had the Lord's Supper, and they would worship, listen to me, they would worship God around the supper table. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like life? They would enjoy food. God gave us food to worship him together. And hopefully, in a little bit, we're going to do that downstairs and have lunch after this service. But church, we've we got to be careful that we don't miss something that's so simple and right before us. We all eat, right? And this morning, I want to encourage us as a church, as we have been encouraging us, that we would get together for meals. And we're doing it already. This is already happening in our body. This, uh, this season of MCs at, our uh, at uh, my house with Tim and, and the rest of the group that we're meeting with, we decided we're going to have a dinner at 6.30 before we have our meeting. And as we've been doing that, it has brought us together in a different way and brought a, a type of fellowship that we had not experienced in the seasons before. And that's something that the first church got. They worshiped God together, and they enjoyed the Lord together around a meal. So they were devoted to the Word of God, they were devoted to the fellowship of believers, and they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And lastly, it says that they were devoted to prayer. To prayer. They were a praying church. They were saved by God to pray. And Milton Vincent, in his book called The Gospel Primer, says, Whenever I come into God's presence to behold him, Worship him, 
or make request of him. Whenever I come to God in prayer, I am arriving at the pinnacle of God's saving purposes for me. Because prayer is communication with God, isn't it? Us to him and him to us. They, were, they saw that they needed a savior. They needed help. They needed their God. And they wanted to be with their God. And the way that they did that was, was through prayer. One of the ways was through prayer. And so they, these are the four essential elements that marked the first century church. The word, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And look at verse 43. It says, and awe came upon every soul. There was, there was life amongst them, this spirit of, of holy fear and awe and amazement. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling, look at what happened. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, some would take verses 44 and 45 and use it as an argument for communism. But the only problem with this is that communism must be forced. It has to be enforced by force. Communism in, the, in these other countries doesn't just happen like it did here. See, what's going on here is actually voluntary. Nobody's making them do this. In verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That's what happens when we come to God. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And I love this last sentence. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. How do you think these people were coming into the church? It wasn't that these new disciples were going to their homes, locking the doors, eating food. Obviously, they were going out into the community and talking about what had happened in their midst. They are an evangelistic church. They are active within their community. And, and look, it says, uh, it says, having favor with all the people. They were a type of people that when people looked at them, they said, these people have character. There's something about these people. They love one another. They care for one another. They talk about a, a dead man who rose from the dead. They all have that in common, but there's something, there's no doubt, they love each other and care for one another, and they love their God. And it was an exciting time. The church was born. There was a sense of awe as lives were being transformed. Needs were being met. Relationships were being formed. And God was being worshipped with food and fellowship and praise. You know, I think this has got to be what heaven's going to look like. Isn't it? Because, church, listen, we cannot forget that church the kingdom of heaven is, is primarily about relationships. It's about relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And that's what the first century church 
God. But as I've been studying this passage, the question I've asked myself is, what made this church alive? What made this church do what they did? And it's, there's a temptation, listen, there is a temptation to take the four truths that I shared with you and say, you know, if we will just be uh, devoted to the Word of God, if we'll just be devoted to, what was number two? The fellowship, if we'll just go to church every Sunday, if we'll break bread together, and if we'll have prayer, then all this is going to happen. That is the temptation in this passage. But you know what? That is not what this passage is teaching. Okay? The reason that they did what they did happened verses before, when Peter began to preach the gospel. Remember? It says in, um, he said, You crucified and killed the Messiah. You rebelled against God and put his son to death, but this was part of God's plan, and he raised him from the dead and made him both Lord and Savior. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they were broken in their sin. Now, this is what caused it. They were broken about their rebellion against God. That is what started all this. They realized that they had rebelled against the God who had created them. They had killed the Messiah that he had sent to save them. But that's, that started it. But here's what ended it. When Peter said, but he's willing to forgive you. That is what started the party. That's what started the fire. Peter said, quit resisting God's love for you. Quit questioning whether God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Change, repent, change your direction, change your mind. Come back to God and receive his forgiveness. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. The reason that this fellowship was on fire was because of the gospel. Listen, it's because of the gospel. The gospel penetrated and captured their hearts. And they were blown away. And you know what, church, really, if we get the gospel afresh, we won't be able to keep ourselves from clapping. You know what I'm saying? Listen, when, when, <laughs> when I met Kelly, she didn't like me for three years. And then one day, I saw this like sparkle in her eye. I was like, whoa. You didn't have to tell me to go, whoa. It was a response to thinking she might like me. And then she said, yes. And I went berserk. <laughs> but there wasn't anyone going, go berserk, James. I didn't have to be told that because it was alive within me. And listen, as we get, church, the gospel... The simple gospel that Jesus came to earth for us, lived a perfect life, was crucified for our sin. He was punished for our sin. Our sin was put upon him. Our rebellion, as we get that, that he was buried, and that he, but that he came back to life so that he can be there for those of us who put our faith in him. He's in this room right now. As we really get that, our, our hearts come alive, and the praise is, more, is a response. And as we do that, we'll be like the first century church. We're still a baby church, 
But as we continue to grow in the gospel, we will know that we are maturing. We will know that we are maturing because we will grow in being devoted to the word of God, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. May God give Reach Life Church grace to stay at the foot of the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.